You are listening to the Reality Steve podcast with your host, Reality Steve. He's got all the latest info and behind-the-scenes juice on Claire's upcoming season of The Bachelorette and interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. Now, here's Reality Steve. What's up, everyone? Welcome to podcast number 187. I am your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Good show for you this week. A guest that we've never had on. Kind of funny how it all came about. That story is in the beginning of the podcast, and we'll get to that momentarily with Clinton Yates from ESPN. There's a lot of things going on in Bachelor Nation that happened this week that I kind of covered in Sunday Night's column, covered in tweets, but uh, for those that... um, Want to know? We'll get, let's get caught up. Uh, Bachelor greatest seasons of all time. Um, Sean's episode did not do well on the ratings. Caitlyn's did worse. Uh, very cool that they gave her Dance with the Stars though. That's really cool. Should have happened sooner. It was set to happen sooner. Mike Fleiss killed it. Uh, but hey, at least she's getting to do it. Um, so congratulations to Caitlyn on that. Um, the other thing that came out this week was some news in regards to filming of Claire's season, which is really nothing new. But at least someone spoke on it. This is all stuff that I have told you back in March that the plan was to film in the summer at a location that they would have 100% exclusivity of. And Robert Mills did an interview with Ryan Seacrest the other day, and that's what he said. He said, we're looking at Claire's season filming in June, uh, in July and August, uh, and it will air in September. However, the big news surrounding that is Claire's season, ABC announced their fall schedule. Claire's season is going to be on Tuesday nights. Dancing with the Stars will still air on Monday nights and go up against Monday Night Football. Claire's season is going to air on Tuesday nights. Does it suck? Yes. Is it unfair? Well, COVID has caused a lot of unfair things in our lives, and this has just happened to be one of them. But if we're talking about the scale of unfair things that COVID has caused in our lives, this is probably around 1,000th on the list. Like, it's not that big of a deal that Claire's season is going to air on Tuesday nights. It really isn't. It will be hard to compare her to past seasons because it's not airing in its normal May through July slot on Mondays. It's going to air September to November on Tuesdays. So not going to be able to compare the seasons ratings-wise. I'm sure it will do uh, lower ratings just because people, even though we are home, a lot of people are out of work, uh, not a lot of people are consuming network television. All you have to do is look at the ratings over the last three months. They haven't been great for many shows. So that's where we are with Claire's season. And then Robert Mills said, as for Matt James, they're hoping to film it on the regular schedule, which is September, and it's going to air first Monday in January, which is, I guess, good news. But in terms of what Matt James's season is going to look like, considering they've already said, hey, Claire's is going to be in one location, no travel. We had a lot of great international travel lined up. They were going to Italy, like I had reported, but that got nixed. Um They won't know. We can't really say about Matt James' season yet in terms of how it's going to be shot. Is it going to be starting at the mansion and then maybe they do some domestic travel, he said. Maybe they take a bus and get in a bus and go up north or go somewhere in a bus as as opposed to getting on a plane. Maybe there will be no travel. They just don't know yet. We don't know. Just like in March, we didn't know how things were going to look in June. In June, we don't know how things are going to look in September. It's three months away. But at least we have some news that the plan is – Film Claire's season, July and August. It will air in September. It's on ABC's schedule to air Tuesday nights in September. And then Matt's season 
if it goes off and there is no second wave and coronavirus doesn't go crazy again, Matt's season will film in September. What form that'll take, we don't know yet, but it will film in September just like every past Bachelor season, film it in September, go through right before Thanksgiving, and then it, it will premiere first Monday in January. So that'll be good. We'll be back on schedule if that happens, but we just there's no guarantee right now. Um, but they are still trying to lock down the location for Claire's season, which means they're also trying to lock down a location for Matt James' season. We just don't know yet uh, in in June. But uh, that's the latest Bachelor Nation news, uh, at least the most important stuff. Caitlin got Dance with the Stars. The ratings for greatest of all se- greatest seasons of all time is doing horribly. Nobody's really watching. And we have a little update on what's going on with that, uh, with the filming of Claire and Matt James seasons. So with that said, let's just get right into it. Uh, I want you to pay attention. Uh, the first 20 minutes, Clinton and I speak about The Bachelor, how he became, how he came to like it, why he's even following me on Twitter, how this interview came to be. And then we talk about Matt James, our first black Bachelor. And Clinton has a really interesting take on the Matt James stuff, but you kind of have to listen to it. I, 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 I think I know where he was going with this, but I want you to take a listen to see if any of you uh, realized it or recognized it or could tell. But I, very interesting points um, from a black guy who watches The Bachelor. And then for the last 40 minutes of the podcast, I wanted to talk a little sports and talk about race relations in sports and what's going on in the three major sports which is NBA, Major League Baseball, and NFL in regards to what we've seen happen over the last few days and whatnot. And even since I recorded this Tuesday with Clinton, you know, something happened yesterday in baseball where it looks like they are close to coming back and they will be roughly a 70 to 80 game season. So uh, keep that in mind when you're talking. We recorded this on Tuesday, but um, some really interesting takes by Clinton. I'm glad I, I'm glad I found him and glad I had him on. So let's get going. Podcast number 187. Okay, let's bring him in. Uh, you've seen him on numerous ESPN platforms. He's a uh, panelist on Around the Horn. Uh, he's a writer for TheUndefeated.com. You hear him on ESPN radio shows. He's also a former columnist at The Washington Post. It is Clinton Yates. Clinton, thanks for coming on, man. What's going on? How are you? I'm very excited about this. You're upping my cool level <laughs> in certain demographics in my friend circles, so thank you. Really this, pumped. This is crazy because I, I want to explain how this all came about. We're recording this. <laughs> Tuesday, June 16th, literally yesterday, Monday, I'm watching around the horn as I normally do in the afternoons. Uh, You're one of the panelists yesterday and I've always liked your work. And I, for whatever reason, just yesterday decided to go look you up on Twitter. And lo and behold, when I go to your Twitter account, I saw that you followed me, which I found totally bizarre. I had no idea why (laughs) you followed me. I'm like, so I DM'd you, you got right back to me. uh, and, And here we are. So my question to you is this, why do you follow me? Tell me how deep your Bachelor fandom goes here, Clinton. Okay, so there's two things to know about this. Number one, I follow a crap ton of people on Twitter, mainly because that's the main thing I use it for, is to gather information. And when I got on Twitter in, I don't know, 2010, 2009, it was like a loose collection of people who wanted to be smart and who wanted to be funny. But it's now become like, you know, the biggest, easiest way to just get in touch with people and learn stuff, you know? So as a fan of The Bachelor, and not a mega fan, and not even a super fan, I would just say a fan. A fan as much as any, I don't know, for use a sports analogy, 
as fan as much as any person who's the fan of a football team knows the name of their starting quarterback, but probably not the name of their left guard. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That's the that's a, much of a fan of the Bachelor as I am. Although I've been a hardcore fan before. My point is this: you obviously know what you're talking about regarding a process and a show that I like a lot. So I followed you. Gotcha. Simple as that. Okay. You know what I'm saying that's how that works. What, what year did it start? I don't know what year it was, but I know that it was at least a decade ago. And you know how I actually got into The Bachelor? It's You talked about your sports talk background. Yeah. I used to listen to Petros and Money. I still do listen to Petros and Money out gotcha. here in L.A. Okay. Not even on my network. But Petros used to do The Bachelor Report every week. And after a while, I was like, I just start watching this show. It's too ridiculous. You know what I'm saying? It's funny. And so that's how I got into it. Gotcha. Okay. So I didn't even know. You, you are out in L.A.? I live in Los Angeles. I'm looking right now at the beach. Gotcha. Okay. Um, yeah, Petros is a guy I used to work with uh, in radio before he went to 570 uh, with money. I was at his station before that. Um, knew Petros from back in the day. That's crazy. Okay. I didn't yeah, do- that's exactly it. I mean, that guy made the show sound funny. And when I started watching it, it was every bit as funny for those reasons, you know, that he used to describe. And that I think are in line with why we both watch it too. Yeah. So we're, we're in different times when it comes to The Bachelor now. Um, because I don't, I mean... It's obviously been made news in the last couple of weeks with the announcement uh, of our first Black Bachelor and Matt James, who um, is friends with you know Tyler Cameron, and he was set to be on Claire's season. Uh, clearly now he's not. But I don't know, just as a casual observer, I'm curious if you even knew this. Did you know that Rachel Lindsay was the only black lead this show has had had in 40 seasons before all this Of course. Okay, so you were aware yeah. of that. Okay. I mean that that's that was I mean that was the peak of when I actually probably cared the most about this just as an individual never mind as a watcher. So yeah. I was absolutely um aware of that. I mean there was no way around it. I think that's because I, I think people don't realize though like that's kind of what the bachelor is you know it's one of those last standing franchises where people are like well there's not going to be any appreciable input from black folks on this show simply because of the setup you know what i'm saying a bunch of rich people or people who are looking like they're rich traipsing around in a mansion giving people roses with champagne is simply not how we operate for the most part you know what i'm saying so getting into that world was obviously going to be something that was going to take some time and when rachel showed up you saw who she was she didn't just have the credentials of i don't know some of these other things that are like very funny on the chirons where it's like unemployed tank operator or some other ridiculousness you know what i'm saying it was rachel she was the truth you know what I mean? It was like, okay, this makes sense. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Rachel is well-known um, in just circles in general about what uh, what a pioneer she's been. Yeah. And now, you know, she's parlayed this Bachelorette gig to, you know, her, her uh, podcast on The Ringer, ESPN job, um, a TV show, on, you know, hosting a uh, dating show on MTV. Like, Rachel's done really well for herself. And, you know... Extreme talent yeah. is what I would describe her as. Yeah, she's very good. And people were giving her shit kind of off the show when she started kind of going away from the lawyer stuff and were like, what are you doing? You went to law school and now you're giving that all up to, you know, pursue Hollywood and now look at her. I mean, it's almost like an yeah, FU. Right. You know, she's... You know how many washed-out lawyer bros I know who are doing nothing remotely as comparative or even as cool. How about a ton? So, yeah. yeah, Rachel's doing great. Yeah. Um, so when you when you look at this show, um, as a black viewer yourself, I think one of the things that a lot of people have said over the last couple weeks is that, you know, there's no inclusion of black people. We know how long they last on this show. It's been really bad. Uh, Rachel's been one of the biggest champions about this, of we need some change on this show. 
not just casting people um, of color, but also um, production side is mostly white people. Um, you know, uh, over the years, just not not an inclusion at all. Did it bother you when you watched the show? Is that part of the reason why you never became a diehard? Um, no. I mean, like I said, the the origin story of what it is meant that it was not something I was ever going to necessarily need. Yeah. But after a while, once like once the show became big enough that it was, I don't want to say directing a social a certain amount of the social discussion online regarding like the dating show. But like once it took hold as like the one show of its type that we're going to take semi-seriously, it became clear how limited the show was simply by not having enough people of color on it. And whether it's that in the date options, whether that's in the way they portray all all the hometowns and how that would thus fix, you know, uh, play into probably who was going to get chosen. Like it was those kinds of things that became more bothersome. Like I didn't just need to see black folks talking on the screen i mean that's that's one thing but like it was just so evident how much the entire mindset of the show was just geared towards white america you know what i'm saying and the, the hometown is just something i, I want to harp on because like those are the spaces where we and by we i mean black folks and people of color become humanized you know yeah. you go back to somebody's town and you see their high school or you see the bakery they used to go to or you see their family in operation just in their town those are the kind of things that show folks across america oh by the way you know what i'm saying like other people not only do things like you but maybe do things in different ways and that a lens like the bachelors could shine on a certain amount of the population where people just otherwise don't know that you know what I mean? And like, that's what, I mean, if you really want to get into this, that's what sort of the higher calling or whatever this stuff is that I think people kind of look past. I don't necessarily need that, but I could certainly tell when it was obvious how much was missing from this show just because they were steadily staying in the same pockets of America, no matter what. Yeah. And I think the thing that I've stood behind for them and the thing that they've always stood behind as a franchise when asked, how come there aren't more black people on the show? Their thing has always been to say, we just don't get enough black applicants. And I'm like, well, that's your own fault because exactly. you've already yeah. set the standard of what this show is and black app- black contestants, one, there are very few of them on every season. Two, the ones that are on don't get very far. And three, some that do get far always get a shitty edit. So, I mean, yeah, I mean why would they apply? And, <laughs> and beyond that, it's just like if people don't feel that the basic framework of what you're trying to present is something that's going to potentially put them in a good light, they're not even going to try. You know, and that's a huge part of it is that like this does not seem like it's something where even for I, I mean, this isn't this is about black folks because I'm specifically speaking about that. But this becomes a whole other thing if you want to get into sort of, you know body types and you know shapes and sizes of human beings and like what kind of jobs they do you know what i'm saying like we could go down the line on this the bachelor beyond race has a very specific niche of humans that it recruits and that it attracts who like it you know what i'm saying or like it for that reason to to the point that they want to participate in so it runs the gamut in terms of why but i know specifically for black folks it's the most obvious as to how it has not yeah uh, i i mean i i you probably count on one hand, any given season, how many women are over a size two? That's one of them. I mean, that, let's be honest. I mean, they, it's it's brunette and blonde women that are size zero or size two. 
I mean, it's just the way. I mean, they got enough of a problem getting people who aren't named like Ashley on <laughs> one specific season. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, really? Yeah. Like, you could at least make sure that nobody has the same name. That's a pretty <laughs> easy way to make sure that it's remotely diversified, you know? And that's that's the kind of thing. I mean, it even comes down to that. It's not even just the blondes are nuts of the size twos. It's like every single part of it, it's kind of Stepfordy at a certain point, which which is fine. I mean, you have to sort of take that with it and then you deal with it there. But like, yeah, I mean, it's obvious. It's just a matter of whether or not you care about that. With the announcement of Matt James, our, our first Black Bachelor that's going to take place uh, whenever, we don't, we don't know exactly when filming is going to take place because of COVID, Although it's a small step, um, do you look at this as, I mean, it is progress to some extent. It's the least they could do is, is finally give us a, a black bachelor after having one uh, black bachelorette. But do you look at it as, okay, maybe they've seen their mistakes and they're moving forward? Or is it just, hey, this is, a small, this is your first step. You've got plenty more steps to get to before we actually see progress on your show. I think it was pretty opportunistic, yeah. um, but I don't know that that necessarily means something bad. Yeah. You know, a lot of times that's the reason why people do things anyway. And if that leads to changes that are going to be legit, then like so be it. But I also think that like the opportunism probably went a step too far in the notion that not just that they picked a black guy at a time when that was an obvious choice to sort of satiate a lot of people, but they picked a dude that everybody already knew. And that was a little bit sort of disappointing. You know what I'm saying? Not because of any Claire season nonsense, but that it might mess up. But it's like, well, we've seen this guy. You know what I'm saying? Like, we know this guy. This guy isn't actually outside of the Bachelor universe, which is the whole reason why people wanted them to shake it up to begin with. That's no knock on him. Yeah. Cool dude. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, I've seen that guy before. You know what I mean? But I think that was what the whole thing was. It was like, really? You had to have the brother who was the one dude we'd actually heard of? You know what I'm saying? Who's not really bringing much outside of what we know the life background is of various bachelors, you know, like former college athlete, um, you know, but like at the same time, and this is not a knock on anybody's family, but like his mom's white. You know what I'm saying? Like he's not, it's, 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 if you really dig deep onto the things that The Bachelor cares about, he's not that move far removed. And that doesn't make him any less black. It just means in terms of what you're showing to the country, you know what I'm saying? Like the possibilities of where that goes are very different when it's somebody who we already know, no matter how accomplished they are, which he is very much. You know what I'm saying? And I say that because it almost gives him an unfair chance because he now has to be like – the person that people think he should be in that universe as opposed to the person not that who he wants to be i don't know him i'm not saying it like that but i'm saying if it were somebody else as opposed to coming into the bachelor universe under the guise of hey i'm a real person maybe you could understand something more about me as opposed to i've already passed the test as to why i'm here now you're finally shining your light on me yeah and i think you know you being in the news cycle the fact that it was a friday morning dump on gma when all this is going on, and this show, we know, has always been very, um, shall we say, they like to promote when they've got something big coming. I had no idea. As someone who covers it as, as extensively as I do, I had no idea this was coming Friday morning, and they didn't even start announcing, and they didn't even say, hey, our Bachelor announcement's coming Monday. They just said, or Friday, Friday morning, there were tweets going around saying, Tune into GMA, Bachelor Nation. Got an announcement for you, and it, it was just—it was really weird, the way they did it. Um, they've never done a, a, an announcement of a lead like this ever before. It's always been this big pomp and circumstance, and it was just like, yep. oh, by the way, here it is on, on a Friday morning on GMA. Here he is. Let's get him in an interview. Let's get him on satellite and do an interview with him. And 
you know, he's a guy that um, was, like you said, was supposed to be on Claire season, was probably going to be the bachelor, even if Claire season did fill on time. I think that was the reason they casted him because they really liked him. He's best friends with Tyler Cameron, who's like the number one guy in this franchise right now that women seem to love. That certainly helped uh, his his notoriety on this show. Um, but yeah, I don't know much about him other than, okay, played, he played ball at Wake Forest for a little bit, got a little cup of coffee in the NFL practice squad player. But, um, that interview on GMA was literally the first time I think I'd ever heard him talk. Right. And (laughs) he's, I mean, this, let's not get it twisted. Perfect candidate, great looking human, tremendously talented. That's all evident, but it's just one of those things where you're like, Okay, like we know you can produce those people, Bachelor ABC. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, what about all the other things that are still kind of like it feels like the reason why there's not more of us is because you think that we're a little too rough around the edges. This guy is obviously as sharp as a knife. You know what I'm saying? And that's not a knock on him. I just hope that this season doesn't become not about him and about this larger issue of diversity when this dude, who's plenty accomplished and plenty deserving, has been thrown out there for reasons that we don't know. That's that's what I'm saying. It shortchanges him as much as it shortchanges the franchise. And that's a bummer as a black person. You know what I'm saying? You want to see people get chances because they deserve it and because we're going to get the same sort of respect about it as everybody else. If you're throwing us in there just because times are tight and you happen to have a perfect candidate, that's not fair. You know what I mean? And it's not that it's not fair in terms of what we get in the end. It's not fair in terms of how you're shortchanging the overall product. And that's what sucks. This dude is probably going to be the most interesting bachelor in history, trust me, and it ain't just going to be because he's black. And that's something that I don't think people are going to be able to remember or realize unless they point that out to them, which defeats the purpose of having him there to begin with, which sucks. Yeah, and I and I, you almost feel pressured. Like, what if this guy – I mean, I don't know his dating history. I have no idea who he's into. But what if this guy has a Final Four of four white women and ends up choosing a white woman? Is that going to be like some sort of negative – against him if he does it shouldn't be but will people look at it that way and that's the thing they open the doors to like a weird level of judgmental speculation that frankly is probably the reason why they didn't have a bunch of non-white folks on there to begin with i get that but that's why it's a difficult thing you've opened the door to this i really hope bachelor nation is ready to deal with this this is why i said the whole thing about his mom is actually a pretty interesting point you know what i'm saying like he's black his mom is white if you bring somebody into your house, like the natural order of things that sometimes people have in terms of generational issues or not about anything, they change a lot when it's not a black mom with a black son. They just do. You know what I'm saying? And like part of that experience of what The Bachelor is, is seeing that family interaction, knowing where people come from, learning about people. Some of the people that we love the most, we meet their parents and we're like, oh, they're way better. Or like, oh, no way. You know what I'm saying? Like not dealing with that. And I think that like one of the things that would have come to people's minds when they saw a black bachelor is, y'all wonder what this dude's mom is going to be like. You know what I'm saying? Because that's the fun part of the show. Never mind the real part of life. And so – it's it's and again i don't want to somehow seem like i'm against anything that has to do with like interracial dating or children or anything like that the anniversary of loving day was like a week ago that is not the person that i am i'm just saying in terms of a product that you're showing it's a very different thing as a result of both of those steps than it could be you know what i'm saying if i think some people as they've put it felt that you were really honestly looking for a different person 
in your universe who's black. You know what I'm saying? And like, that's the thing. It sucks for that family because I'm sure they are a fantastic family, but they're going to have so much pressure put on them because they're going to have to be representing a bunch of stuff that unfo- that ultimately has nothing to do with them being at fault for anything or anybody. Yeah, I'm really interested to see how his season goes. I'm curious to see. I I got to imagine in doing just off the top of my head, looking at past seasons, looking at contestants of color in past seasons, I, I mean – I think maybe eight or nine is the most we ever got, and that was on Sean Lowe's season. Um, I, I gotta believe if you're gonna cast Matt as the Bachelor, with everything that's going on right now uh, in the world, you gotta you you gotta give him at least a third, if not half, of his cast uh, to be people of color. I I, I gotta believe yeah, that. That's I mean, what that's just such a it's just such a weird thing to say though like you know, I know. I, mean, like, I get what you're saying I know but like it's so it's so weird to think about that like oh yeah I'm gonna need at least a half you know like what I don't know like that's where the whole nature of the show gets icky and you're thinking to yourself like what no you know what I mean like it's just such an awkward thing to say I want percentage I, I don't even hate to, I hate to use this word but it feels like quotas yeah you know what I mean and because of what the yeah. show is that's just weird and it's like oh god maybe that's why you should have taken a little bit more time to think about this in terms of maybe it would have been a good time to really reconsider what the show looks like beyond just sticking a brother in the main role because the way that the the framework works is too highly judgmental as is in order for this to go quickly or not quickly in order for this to go smoothly without it being some problem quickly that's what i'm gonna say so on sunday um or the week before before matt was made as the bachelor and the announcement was made and we had no idea it was coming you know i was doing instagram live on sunday night and i said i don't think in the times that we're in right now and this batch diversity Instagram started up that has now garnered over 100,000 signatures uh, to promote more diversity within this show. And they were getting so much shit for only having one black lead. Rachel Lindsay, like we said, had, it was championing that cause of this is ridiculous. I'm going to remove myself from this franchise if they don't have changes real quick. Um, mm. I was even saying I don't think there was any way they couldn't have a black bachelor as the next guy. I was just like, there's no way they can come whatever. June, July, August, whenever they plan to make their next announcement, that they were going to just trot out another vanilla white dude and be like, yep, here he is again. I almost felt like as much shit as they've gotten, there was no way they couldn't have made it. But like you said, it's almost like, I don't know, pandering at this point. And, but like you said, and I think even Matt even said in his interview on GMA, um, to get the exact quote off the top of my head, it's, um, just because it's uh, it's it's never it's never, oh god, what's the quote he said? It, it's uh, never. Well, it's never the right time. I get ne- never the right time, There's, or it's always. Oh god, I, I know what you're trying to say, but I, yeah. the, the larger point here is that yes, when you have a fundamentally and fundamentally sound strong here in the context of everything else we're saying. I'm saying in terms of the fundamentals of The Bachelor. I can't believe I'm even saying this out loud, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. In terms of The Bachelor, <laughs> if you have a fundamentally exclusionary system, when you decide to include people that were otherwise not even close to on the radar, yeah, it's never going to be the right time. And he's exactly right about that. So if he feels that he wants to be the pioneer and blaze that proverbial trail down dating show history, I'm not going to be mad at him. I'm saying that as a viewer of the show, never mind as a black person who works in media, that it's clear he is being put at a disadvantage off the top. Because it seems like the reason he got there is not the right reason 
And I don't even mean the right reason in the context of what The Bachelor is. I mean the right reason in terms of the context of what diversity is. So it's tough. You know what I'm saying? Like, everybody is rooting for him because whatever. It's The Bachelor. Everybody roots for everybody, presumably, until they do something ridiculous, like pour a glass of champagne on somebody's head. But I don't think that everybody is going to believe that whatever happens is going to be as genuine as people think that other things are, and that's through no fault of their own. And that that is ultimately what sucks. Once you put yourself in this universe, you don't want to have it torn down by some nonsense, you know what I'm saying, because it's already enough of a suspension of belief yeah. just to have fun, you know? Yeah, and it's like, okay, it's like like we said earlier, it's it's a first step. It's the, it's the bare minimum they could have done to start inclusion of people in color in this franchise. It's That's the first thing you had to do was, hey, give us a black lead. Um, yeah. now and it's I think like... that this guy, sorry, I think that this guy though, to your point, he has, he has enough talent to make this a non thing. Like I'm not expecting him individually to get swept up by this noise to the point that the show is not going to be entertaining or he's not going to be able to find love. That's not at all where I'm at with this. I just think it's going to become too much of the discussion outside of what any other normal reason, excuse me, any other normal season would be for anybody who was doing it. And that's what's a shame, you know? Okay, the quote that I was looking for that he said was, I don't think it's ever the wrong time to do the right thing. Which okay, when we're talking, That was his line of one, when GMA, where they said, well, you know, kind of alluding to the fact, well, do you think you just got it because of the times that we're in or whatever? And that was his response. Yeah, if that were me, I'd be in the same position. I mean, and it makes complete sense. You know what I'm saying? And like, whatever, I'm here. Let's do it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I just hope that a bunch of these diehards who are all of a sudden expecting people to be showing up with, I don't know, Shea butter and wave caps are not disappointed because that's not going down. It's still the bachelor. You know, that's, that's the reality. Okay. Let's take a break real quick. Talk again about magic spoon growing up. You know, I love cereal. You know, I loved it every night before bed, but it was always the sugary kind. The one that is the junk food that I really shouldn't have been eating. I've been trying to cut down on carbs a little bit and unhealthy food during quarantine. It has not been easy. Trust me. Um, but, I'm doing my best, and Magic Spoon is helping with that. Magic Spoon has zero sugar, 12 grams of protein, only three net grams of carbs in each serving. They got four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and blueberry. I've told you that cocoa and frosted are probably two of my favorites of those. It tastes amazing. Really, it's it's about as close as you can get to the sugary ones that I grew up on. It's keto-friendly, it's gluten-free, it's grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and it's GMO-free. Go to magicspoon.com slash Steve to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use promo code Steve at checkout to get free shipping. If Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, and they are, it is backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money, no questions asked. That's magicspoon.com slash Steve and use the code Steve for free shipping. We thank Magic Spoon for sponsoring this podcast. All right, I want to move on to um, – that was a great discussion. I really appreciate that on, on – No doubt. So no that, doubt. Was, um, that was great. I want to move on to what's going on <clears throat> right now in sports. So I want to talk about kind of what's going on in sports and the times that we're in. You and I are – you know, you're on ESPN. You're a columnist for the Undefeated. You're on Around the Horn. I've seen a lot of your takes, but I want to kind of share some of your takes uh, with my audience and, and talk okay. sports and completely get away from – from the whole bachelor part of it that we get 20 minutes on and now get into kind of race relations and what's going on in sports. And I think all three major sports right now are facing something. First off, let's start with the NBA. Um, Kyrie, Avery Bradley, Dwight Howard are giving off this impression that um, 
thinking they may not be coming back to play and telling others to maybe take a stand against the systemic racism in this country might be the best route of action. Now, the thinking is that there isn't a better time to make a statement than now, and if they do decide to sit out this season, convince everyone not to come back, this would this would really drive home the message. So my question to you is twofold. If you were Michelle Roberts, the executive director of the NBA Players Association, would you advise them to do this? And if it were to happen, do you think it would accomplish what Kyrie is basically setting out for it to do? Um, I do, but, but I think I think the, the purpose of Kyrie's comments are a little bit misunderstood. I think the people what people don't understand is that there's a there's a threefold element here, which is number one, like it's not just about sort of Black Lives Matter in, in this context. Like, yeah, most of the players in the league are black. And so the default sort of orientation towards understanding protests is already there. And yeah, it's a tricky situation because COVID happened. But the third part about this is that, and this is sort of easier to look at now that baseball is where it is, basketball players are more valuable to the pro top flight level of their game than all other athletes are. There are less players on NBA teams. There are less humans that are as good at doing what they do on earth than anybody else. So from a simple sort of power balance standpoint, it's almost it's almost like a, a tailor-made opportunity to just force yourself to say, hey, hold up. What are we even doing here? Because, sure, Black Lives Matter is one thing. COVID is another. But right now, we're in the catbird seat as far as, like, what we can actually just determine. You know, NASCAR, the day that Bubba Watson said, hey, it'd be great if they pulled down all the Confederate flags and didn't allow that, that that was because they had kneeled at a race. It wasn't like he came out with some large, huge calculated protest uh, designed around Confederate flags. He sort of threw that in, you know what I'm saying? And as much as it might've ended up being a business decision that NASCAR was taking it off for a while, they did it, you know? And, And if you keep that in mind with what Kyrie and Dwight Howard are talking about, it's kind of like, yo, we're at the table here. I might as well ask for, or at least indicate everything I want, sort of this tournament aside, so that people understand that I know how to capitalize on what it is my position is. You know, and I, to me, that's what Kyrie was saying. It wasn't as much about, well, if we sit down, people are going to stop killing people. I mean, of course, that's part of the goal. But there was a larger statement to me there about, like, specifically because he said, only 20% of the, or whatever he said, 20 guys are only really making money. His larger point being, we could all be making a lot more cash in this, but because of our agency as human beings is being slighted, also our agency as players is being slighted. And if we look at all this in one, maybe the whole thing changes. And maybe what it's going to take to look at that in that way is not playing. You know what I'm saying? And so that's how that came across to me. I know it's easy to make fun of Kyrie because of flat earth jokes and all that other shit, but like, the bottom line is, is that this 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 makes sense, you know, and I was saying that on TV and maybe it doesn't make sense from a right now level. But just as far as a mindset and a worldview, no pun intended there. I, I think he's on to something that a lot of basketball players could do to think about in terms of what their value is to not just the league, but to themselves. If you had to guess right now, do you think there is an NBA season? Yeah, I mean, I think they'll finish it out. Okay. But. I don't like the biggest hurdle to the NBA season is the health factor to me. Yeah. This is just something, this is just something that I think um, he's bringing up because you know, he wants it to be aware. 
I don't know that it's the best idea for the players to sit out to gain awareness for whatever the cause may be. But I also know that it would certainly be extremely effective because of all the reasons I described before. They've just got too much leverage. And we're at a point now in America where we recognize that in terms of labor. We've, we recognize that in terms of the social capital. And we recognize that in terms of like what we want. You know what I mean? Like, I think there's a lot of people who understand if the NBA says, hey, guess what? We're players. We're a little bit too mentally taxed based on nothing that has to do with basketball, never mind the health risk. I don't, I don't think people are going to be, like, super offended by that. You know? Like, people forget how big this ask is, and they don't really correlate it to what it is they're asking or what they understand the people to do. That's the reason why that 1% makes a difference is because, like, these people perform under the conditions that they're used to and that they've been acclimated to that they like. If you're asking some guy to sit three months at Disney World with none of his friends or a family, bro, the basketball ain't going to be that good. You know what I'm saying? Like, sorry. That's, that's, that's how that works. You know what I mean? And so, like, you've got to be real about yourself as a basketball fan or even as a sports fan as to what it is you really want. Do you want to see the jerseys running around just because they can? Or do you want the guys who you know the best to compete at the highest level to entertain you per what your dollar is worth and that's something that i think a lot of sports fans don't really think about because to them no games is no games how those games happen and who they happen with is kind of immaterial until they see it happening poorly and they're like well damn it this is not what i wanted we don't want that and let's remember one of the biggest sporting events yearly was already has already been canceled and that was the ncaa tournament so it's not it's not impossible to believe that they can just cancel an nba season i think people obviously want it because they just want sports back in their life because we just haven't seen anything outside of golf last weekend uh, and a few nascar races there just hasn't been you know people want to get to this sense of normalcy whatever that new normal uh, is they want to see the nba back on so let's just say the nba comes back and they go with mm-hmm. this plan that they have right now eight game regular season possible play in for the eighth seed then regular nba playoffs let's just say this happens and a season plays out down in orlando and we crown a new champion how will you look at it? Will you look at it as, let's say, LeBron gets his fourth title? Are you going to be like, yeah, that's legit. That's a fourth title. Do you think this is going to have an asterisk on it? Where, where are you at on all that? So I've been thinking about this a lot because you know how it is in sports talk. There's like that subdivision of sports talk that's like – I don't even know how to explain it. It's, it's like, like achievement Twitter. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They want to argue about the relative merits of achievements as opposed to like just kind of how good somebody was and – I'm not looking forward to whatever the hell achievement Twitter has to offer about <laughs> this particular tournament. And, and thinking about this, here's what I've come to. And this is going to sound ridiculous, and I'm sorry if people don't think that this adds up to anything. If the Lakers win it, it's legitimate. Okay. Anybody else? Kind of maybe not. You know, and that, that sounds so absurd, but, like, the Lakers, to me, are the team that – not that I want to win – But, like, they've had the craziest season. They've had the most unfortunate of scenarios befall not just their franchise, but the basketball world, which they had to be ambassadors of in terms of the late great Kobe Bryant. Never mind what happened in terms of LeBron arriving at all and almost detonating the entire franchise. You know what I'm saying? Magic Johnson walking out, um, the coach getting fired. Kurt Rambis' wife becoming somebody that we actually know about. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like they were come, they've come a super long way. And if this ends up being how they get that title, 
which in the world of what I think people deserve and don't, I think they kind of deserved it. I'm not going to have a problem with that. Now, if like the Sixers finally mess around and get it together and win the title, I think people are going to be like, yo, hold up. Like, uh, and even though they were a completely legitimate title contender before, like there's something to be said about who that is and how it happens about whatever the definition of the asterisk is going to be. So yeah. is that a reason to watch the basketball? Of course. You know what I'm saying? But like at the same time, I really do think who the team is is going to make a difference as to whether or not people consider it to be legitimate or not. You know, and as much as I might consider every team to be legitimate, I don't know that if I haven't watched the basketball, you know, let's just say, I don't know. Some team comes back and three of their guys who are their main dudes just decide not to play, you know, and then all of a sudden you've got an imbalance in the competition to the point where it's not even about taking anything away from who wanted. It's about like, well, that wasn't really what the tournament's supposed to be. So I, I don't really know what to think, you know, and that's that's what I'm afraid of is that we're going to get into this kind of limbo where it's going to be like, OK, we're playing the basketball because we're playing the basketball. But we kind of got to talk about what the basketball is that we're playing. And to further that point, what if we come back and play and a top player, a team's two of the team's top four players get the virus and they have to sit out for two weeks? Then, then there's right. that. Right. I mean, and that's what I'm saying. It's like whatever the case may be as to how this could get jammed up from a competition standpoint, it all matters the same, which is, you know, sort of a lot. You know, I mean, that's just all there is to it. Like, we don't really know what we're going to get. And so it's hard to say that there's going to be an asterisk because we don't know what we're looking at. There's an outside chance that some team wins this thing and people say, you know what, that was probably harder than what would have been winning the regular tournament. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's a completely large chance of that, which is that whatever the internal story of Orlando is supersedes anything that has to do with what the season was. And I don't actually mind that. If I'm honestly, as a storyteller, I'm kind of looking forward to that. You know what I mean? The team that gets it together for Orlando and manages to pull off an NBA title where it's not an, it's not a, at that point, a, an asterisk thing. It's like a, a whole other story. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think that's the best that we can wish for. And if that happens to align with what was already going down in the season, then even better. But if not, okay, that's fine. The NBA is showing you that they can diversify their product a little bit in terms of what goes down in a pandemic and in a situation that nobody could otherwise predict. Cool. Good for you. That's what we're there for. But if it's just janky and in disarray, the way that it sees the MLB season is going to be, then that's just that's a lose lose, and I really I'm really hoping that doesn't happen. Yeah, and I'm and I'm looking at it as you know, even though we haven't seen it play out, assuming it plays out the way they want it to, four seven game series, you know, top eight seeds in each conference, and somebody comes out a winner. Let's just say that missing games from top players and someone getting the virus is very minimal. Nothing has changed. I'm I'm fine with that as your NBA champion, just because. Basically, it was basically played out as a full season outside of you just weren't in front of fans for the playoffs. Uh, so I'm, yeah, I'm fine with that. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm fine with it too. And also, like to me, ultimately, this is not really about like the competitive level of the league, man. It's like, dude, people like the NBA for reasons that have nothing to do with the basketball, you know. And if we can't get back to any level of that. Well, then it's just not as fun overall, you know, and you talk about things like The Bachelor and sort of why we care. Like, I ultimately care about what The Bachelor looks like because I want to have fun watching it, not because I'm genuinely that concerned about who's in love and who's sleeping with whom. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, and that's where I'm hoping that some of these sports leagues can really understand what it is the product is that they're putting out. I don't just want to roll something out just because it's there. I care about, like, how it happens. You know what I'm saying? Because that's really what the entertainment value is. It isn't just its existence. So, 
you know, there's a lot of that to balance, and I think it's going to be a difficult one. But I think the NBA has the biggest hurdles because they can't afford to lose players because they need them so much. But they've also got the biggest, the highest ceilings because people are so connected with individuals in the NBA the way that they aren't in other leagues, which is teams or laundries or cities. And that brings me to Major League Baseball, which is the one that's probably the biggest in the biggest mess right now. Um, you know, Rob Manfred says last week on during the MLB draft, hey, 100% baseball is going to be played this year. Yes, just yesterday on ESPN's roundtable with commissioners, he says he's not confident. In, in everything that you've heard and in anybody that you may have talked to, uh, I don't know what your connections are in the baseball world, but what is your gut feeling about baseball being played in 2020? Um, so there's a couple things. Um, the main thing is that I don't think Major League Baseball, you know, we just talked about this basketball, but Major League Baseball has a labor situation on its hand that is different that they need to solve. And I think that everybody is a little bit over the notion of either tacitly, implicitly, or explicitly the owners trying to use the pandemic as an excuse or as a bargaining chip. You know, I think people now realize that that's not only distasteful, but it's just ineffective. It's like, what, what are you doing here? You know what I'm saying? Like, are you trying to get baseball back? Yes or no. And if you're not, well, then I guess one way to do it would be to constantly create what the obstacles are and constantly indicate what's not going to happen, you know, as opposed to explaining to us what could happen and what you're going to do. And so it's just one of those things where you talk to players around the league, you talk to guys that had their minor league seasons cut, and there's nobody that's happy about it. I mean, and that sucks. Guys are supposed to like playing baseball. We get back to that happiness component I was talking about with the NBA. That's not why you want people there, just to be there. You know, whether it's, like I said, whether it's basketball contestants, whether it's Major League Baseball players, you don't want people showing up simply because they feel like they're bound by duty or whatever. That's not why people like sports. I mean, it's why fans feel the need to show up, but they're not playing. You know what I'm saying? And so for baseball, there's a lot of toothpaste that's already out out of the tube in terms of just what people even want anymore. And if they show a 50 game season down the players' throats and half the guys just don't show up, Bro, that's not better than not playing at all. It just isn't, you know, and I I don't know that people are willing to sort of accept that because once September hits, you know, and we're used to those day games, you know, on TBS or whatever, like people are going to be upset. But at the same time, what would you rather have happen? They drag out a bunch of guys and then a bunch of taxi squads are all over the place with dudes you've never heard of playing for $20,000 who are pissed off or, you know, do you want to maybe wait? So by the time next season comes back around, and 2020 is kind of a wash globally anyway, you've got guys that are getting respected and playing where they should and how they should in a minor league system, perhaps, that is not completely defunct. You know, that's a whole other discussion that I'm not even going to get into here. But, like, I don't believe that anybody who is willing to decimate their own support system in terms of development of the game has the best interest of the game in mind at any level, never mind the top. And you talk about – we were talking about asterisks with <clears throat> the NBA season. I, you can't give me an, a Major League Baseball season of 48 games with a 16-team playoff and, th- and then crown a champion and, me, and expect me to really recognize the 2020 Major League Baseball World Series champion. I'm sorry. 40. Dude, it's more games in the playoffs than it would be in the regular season. <laughs> it's you know ridiculous. what I'm saying? Like, what's that about? You know, that we can't have that. No, I don't you know? want 48 I mean, just, and, and I don't even – right, and I'm not, I'm not even, like, crazy about that kind of stuff. That's just – it's an opportunity cost thing. 
You know what I'm saying? It's like, yo, I mean, if you're going to pull them out there and make these people take these risks for not even the money that you do, that you owe them, I mean, at least let them play as much as they want. You know what I'm saying? Like, what? <laughs> I don't get it, you know? and I mean, I get it. It's just that it's like every single thing that's happened with the owners has made it clear that they don't think that they should have to pay people to play baseball. It's like, you know, it's like, no, that can't be your smallest operating margin or whatever. I don't even know how these economics work because I don't run baseball teams. I'm just saying that your, your largest output should be on your players because they're the ones playing the game. There's like a fundamental disagreement, I think, that owners of baseball teams have with that. They just don't think they should have to do that. You know, and it's clear in how they're negotiating. It's, it's weird, you know, it, but that gets back to like how rich people operate and why they're rich. It's the whole other story. But, you know, it's just it's unfortunate that this is what it's taken a daggone pandemic to remind people that baseball players probably don't get treated that well by their employers. Not to mention that these are the players. The players are the ones taking on the full risk here. Like the, yeah. owner, the owners aren't going out and playing and possibly risking catching the coronavirus. The players no, are not at all. And, and you know, and, and you know the way sports talk radio works. I think the, the very easy answer for the Joe fan to call up to a sports talk radio station and say, Oh my God, these guys are making millions. Why can't you just play for, you know, play for less Two things to keep in mind, Joe fan. Number one, what is it? Over 50% of players in Major League Baseball this season aren't even making a million dollars a season. And while there are quite a few that make tens of millions a season, there isn't a single player today or ever, I think, that has made more money than any one of the owners of a baseball team. These guys are billionaires. So why are you stopping your anger at the millionaire players when every single one of these owners that is controlling this you know, not coming back to play right now has way more money in their pockets than any of the major league baseball players do. They can, we saw this uh, pop up with the A's a couple weeks ago where the A's said, we're only paying our, we're only paying our minor league players through whatever it was the end of June. And then someone did the math and said, if you realize if you paid every player in your minor league system, their average pay, which is $400 a week, that's $1 million through the end of the season. And then, right. and then they back down like, oh, yeah, well, we're going to do that now. And it's just right. – it's just come on. These yeah. people are billionaires. You can't get mad at the players just because they make money. I, it's I amazing know. to me that people side with rich people when they believe that those rich people have somehow gained their fortune through, like, virtue. It's like, yo, trust me, most rich people are rich because their parents were rich. That's just how it works. You know what I'm saying? Like, And so the judgment of a rich guy as to who he should and should not be paying is not based on merit. It's based on a completely different matrix of emotions and feelings that none of us are ever going to know because we're never going to be billionaires. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And so like, that's what I'm saying. On the most basic appeal level, it's like, you know what I know? I know that I like baseball, and I know that if I was making gazillions of dollars and I had to take a loss on something just to make sure that it happened, I would let it be the baseball team. But that's just me. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't have a moral clause against playing guys to play, paying guys to play a game. That's not what it is. I was just watching that movie, The Battered Bastards of Baseball, the other day, where like, if you don't know it, it's a documentary about the Portland Mavericks and Bing Russell, Kurt Russell's dad famous Hollywood actor at the time was rich. He wanted a baseball team. He ran an independent team in Portland and he was so good. And outside of the system, they ran him into the ground and killed him. And that just tells you everything you need to know about major league baseball. They will eat their own to protect what they think makes sense. The problem is that oftentimes what they think makes sense. Isn't what makes sense. In this case, it isn't 
at all. And that's what you're seeing. You know, it's just it's it's just too bad because yeah, I mean, if you want to defend rich guys getting richer and being rich, then this makes sense. But if you like baseball, it doesn't. It's yeah. as, it's it's as simple as that to me. Moving on to the NFL, um, this one really just drives me up a wall. Um, okay, so a lot of issues going on with the NFL right now, but I think the biggest thing was Roger Goodell's uh, announcement, whatever, seven, ten days ago, whatever it was, where he announced that they dropped the ball four years ago on the Colin Kaepernick thing. And I think it's pretty clear that Colin Kaepernick was blackballed from the league for the last four years. If you want to argue he wasn't a viable starter in this league, okay, I could probably still argue with you on that because – I even went back and looked at the stats, and for those that forgot, in Colin Kaepernick's last year in the league, 2016, he played for a horrible 49ers team. They went 2-14. and 14. He had 11 starts. He threw for 2,200 yards, 16 touchdowns, four picks, and rushed for almost 500 yards. That was his last year in the league. So you can't tell me this guy wasn't one of the 64 best quarterbacks in football, meaning maybe he doesn't start, but he's at least a backup. So... It's clear why no team has picked him up in the last four years. They didn't want to deal with the headache. Fine. Whatever. Roger Goodell last week finally saying the words Black Lives Matter and admitting that the NFL dropped the ball by not allowing players to protest in their own way is, I think, is a major, major story for this season. Because to me, that seems like he's opening it up again for players to kneel if they want to kneel. And we know certain owners, Jerry Jones being one, who back when this was an issue said, my players will always stand for the national anthem. We haven't heard from Jerry Jones since everything has gone down. In your mind, how do you think this plays out when the NFL season rolls around? Um, there's two things. The main thing is that I think, and this has not been a very popular stance, but it is my stance, which is that, you know what? I'm glad Jerry Jones hasn't said anything because I don't need any more statements from anybody on anything at all ever again. Like, I'm sorry. You know, you could do something. Or you can, I don't know, put money somewhere, but like the statement bit is just over. And I think Jerry was one of those guys who realized maybe staying out of that particular lane of communication is a smarter play than not if A, you don't actually believe that, and B, you don't really know how to say it. So I'm not going to get on Jerry for that. There's been too many idiotic statements that were more harmful than good. So there's that element. Number two is that like, I don't know, man. I'm just not at the point now where Colin Kaepernick getting back in the league is something that I personally care about as it relates to the cause. Like, if Colin Kaepernick wants to play football and that's important to him, okay. But like, I'm 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 here for the cause. I don't even like football that much. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm here for the cause. You know, and not I'm here for the cause. Isn't that's the only reason why I watch football? I mean, like, as far as discussing Colin Kaepernick. The cause to me is a much bigger issue in my real life than whether or not Colin Kaepernick gets any backup snaps. And that's not disrespectful to what happened to him in terms of the black ball. It's just that, like, well, I'm not going to lose focus on what it is that matters to me simply because some other guy wants to talk about whether or not this guy deserved to be in the league. You know what I mean? And so, like, overall, I mean, I think the NFL should have done one thing to begin with that they're going to do now, and it's not going to be that serious, which is just let people protest, bro. Yeah. Like, if you'd just done that, this would have been fine. Instead, you tore your league apart for four seasons, and then you end up with their commissioner sitting in a basement apologizing to players, which whether or not he should have done that, clearly the order of operations was jacked up. So the easiest solution here to me is not we have to take everything or we got to just back up. You know what I'm saying? And let people be who they want to be. 
because that's the easiest way to do this, and it's the smartest way to do this. And conveniently, <laughs> you've got a built-in excuse. Nobody's there anyway. Yeah. So what are people going to do? It's not like they're going to walk out of the stadium because they're not in the stadium. So the easiest way to fix this is to just allow protests and get on with your lives, which is probably what you should have done in the, to begin with. But everybody had, you know, whatever, their shirts in a wad for reasons that have everything to do with racism and have nothing to do with police brutality. And <clears throat> I think the other, you know, it's been brought up, one of the other major problems in the, in the NFL right now Um when it comes to race is three black head coaches, two black GMs and 70% of the league is black. Is that fixable to where it doesn't come off as, I don't know, pandering or almost as a courtesy. I mean, I just look at this past off season and you've got Eric B the offensive coordinator, of the Super Bowl winning chiefs, one of the most dynamic offenses we've ever seen in football history, not getting a job of uh, five jobs that opened up in the NFL head coaching vacancies, but Joe Judge, a special teams coach with the New England Patriots since 2014, gets the Giants gig. Look, I'm sure Joe Judge is a nice guy. I have no idea what his coaching skills are, nothing against him. But come on, there's something systematically wrong with that, right? It's got to be. How does Eric Bieniemy not have a head coaching job in this league, but Joe Judge gets hired off because he's uh, you know from the Bill Belichick uh coaching tree which if you look at the bill belichick coaching tree hasn't been very successful to be honest with you well i mean the the, the tree thing is the important question there so while the enemy is one example and joe judge is another you named joe judge's position coach priors you didn't name the enemies he was the running backs coach and that's important because that whole tree thing is the hard part it's not just the hiring part it's yeah. that Black players, if you don't want to make them quarterbacks, they're not going to become quarterbacks coaches. If they're not going to become quarterbacks coaches, they're not going to run offenses. If they're not going to run offenses, they're not going to be head coaches. So, like, it's a whole scouting thing and just a mindset of what all of it is, well beyond whether or not the enemy gets a job or not. And so when you ask me how to fix a problem, that sort of implies that there's some kind of turnkey operation that's even there to do that when it's not that. It's just a matter of if most black players of a certain athletic type are moved out of the decision-making positions on the field, they're certainly not going to be them after the field when they play. And that's a big part of things, man. Like, you know, most brothers had to make it to the head coaching ranks by being a defensive minded person, you know, because they either were forced to play defense when they came up or they never got the chance to play on offense, or they just don't believe that you can do it on the other side of the ball. If you didn't absolutely have the playing chops, there's a lot that goes into that, that people don't think about, you know what I'm saying? And like I said, the enemy to make it to the head coaching ranks as a running backs coach, still hard, still hasn't happened. And his special teams background of Joe Judge is as instructive as anything as to why it doesn't make sense, never mind how young he is. You know, special teams? Really? Yeah. That's not even a thing. You know what I'm saying? And, like, yeah. you know, they're regulating that out of the game. So, like, how much could you really be doing to just from a – I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying he's not. I'm just saying that, like, you know, that that's not even the hierarchy when we're trying to do it the right way, never mind for the right, right reasons. So the Joe Judge thing is a pretty – I don't know, pretty disappointing on a lot of levels. But, yeah. you know, if that makes Eric Bieniemy more appreciated for who he is and maybe gets him more money, ultimately, good for that. And also, if it buys uh, job security for some of the other brothers that are coaching, I mean, that's kind of where we are now. It's not just about the fact that you can't get a chance. It's about the fact that when you get one and it doesn't go great, you never get another, which is a whole other story. Yeah. No, I mean, we, there's perfect examples 
of that. And, you know, what I mentioned earlier. Jim Caldwell is the number one example that yeah. was most recently on people's minds. Guy goes above 500 with friggin' two teams, leaves the team. That team still can't even get to one of his records, and he still can't find a way back into the head coaching ranks. Yeah. And, That's weird. And took a team to the Super Bowl. Uh, they might have lost, exactly. but still, he took them there. Um, right. He's nowhere to be found. Um, well, I'm not, he's still coach, but. No, but he's not a head coach, not and head there's coach. retreads. You know, there's. You know, there's other guys that have been retreads that we've known for years, and it's not to say they aren't deserving. It's just, you know, opening up that door, like you said, getting back to Bachelor, opening up that door when the framework isn't meant for us to begin with can often just be really tricky to navigate, and it's more than just letting somebody in. It's about what's there once you get in, too. I remember recently when you guys started tackling protests and police brutality on Around the Horn. Um, you know, they gave you guys uh, your say in it where they weren't doing – you know, the point system and whatnot, where you were able to give out your thoughts. And I just, you know, just kind of... The dead ball era of yeah. Around the Horn, yeah. no scoring shows? Yeah. No, I'm kidding. Go on. Um, the, um, but you you obviously were very outspoken, and I want, I want you to share. Like, when I, when I ask you, when you hear the phrase Black Lives Matter, and I just kind of know, I, I just kind of want to know, like, what it means, what it means to you. Um, because I think, you know, it wasn't until these last couple weeks where, you know, everyone talks about, America being more woke now, and I'll, I'll be the first to admit, I did not know what the true definition of white privilege was uh, up until the last couple of weeks. I always thought when someone said white privilege around me or to me or whatever, I just assumed it meant, oh, you were born into a great situation, parents had money, and you were given, you know, you were spoon fed as a kid, and you're spoiled rotten. And I was like, no, that's that's not it. It that's not what it means. It means that. Nothing in my life has ever come hard because of the color of my skin. And I first to admit right. that. And I know that now. Two weeks ago, I didn't know that. Or I didn't realize it. I guess I never you know, thought about right. it. So um, when, you hear, when you hear everything going on right now and you hear the phrase Black Lives Matter and you see the police brutality that's going on, I mean, I don't know. What do, what do you think about everything? And it's a general question. Um, if I'm being quite honest, Steve, here's what I think about what Black Lives Matter to me means as an almost 40-year-old person in 2020. Yeah. It means that if I don't have to talk about it, I don't want to. You know, and I'm not saying that about you specifically yeah. asking me about that, so understand that. It just means that, like, dude, like, I've lived enough of my life that, you know, honestly, if somebody's not going to believe me or somebody's not going to sort of understand that what is happening in front of them is real without me having to explain it well then that's not a person i want to be necessarily super involved with anyway unless i have to be that's that's where it is now believe us you don't have to understand anything because the goal is not revenge the goal is equality you know what i'm saying and that's what i yeah. think is kind of lost in a lot of people's understanding about the world is that they're like oh well explain this to me show me how you see it it's like actually i'd just rather not do that you know what i'm saying how about you just believe it and then operate based on it being true as opposed to needing some sort of proof level in order to believe that it can make change that's that's kind of the whole thing it's like yeah it's real that's why we're telling you about it so respect it and let's all try to move on based on what it actually is and not what you think it should be because a lot of times people try to solve problems in ways that they understand when the reasons why things are problems to begin with is because they don't understand them so like the solution is not going to be one that comes easy and so for me it's like i don't I mean, I watch TV. I talk to my family. I build with people that I care about, but I don't, at this stage, I can't even watch the news, dog. I think I'm going to turn on TV and watch black people getting killed all over the place if I don't have to. No, yeah. I'm not. Those days are over for me, and it's just too painful. And that's basically what it is to me. Like, respect the 
multitude of things people feel about this, not just what it means in order to explain something to you, the proverbial you, as the white person in America. Yeah. Do you have you seen in the last two weeks progress um, that you maybe didn't see earlier? Do you think you think? Yeah, I mean, Minnesota deciding Minnesota deciding to divest themselves from the school from from their school system from the police was probably the single biggest change on a structural level that I'd seen in my life. You know, like, honestly, that didn't require, like, a law or didn't require some sort of a case or didn't require some sort of, like, I, I don't even know what. You know, that was just people in one part of society deciding, no, nah, we're good without y'all. You know what I mean? That was huge to me because um, it just meant so much. Obviously, NASCAR was a big deal. Yeah. Um, you, you know, so. And you, and and you no, wrote about no, that for The Undefeated, if you want to check that out on The Undefeated. Yeah. You wrote about the Thank you. Confederate flag being uh, – being removed from all NASCAR races now. Um, you can check that right. out. Right. And those are things that just like, like I was just telling you, like they're just people to people things. Like we don't have to have some widespread groundbreaking legislation or whatever. It's like, yo, you can just be like, how about y'all stop with the whack shit? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And like, we can then start being friends, you know? And it's really hard to do that in a lot of societies. Cause that's where, you know, we talk about pillars of the world. Forget about bachelorette pillars in terms of what we choose to do in the real world. That's hard. You know what I'm saying? To just say, we don't want you here and we got to rethink what your purpose is altogether. It doesn't mean you're bad human beings. It just means like y'all are killing people and we're not really trying to do that. You know what I'm saying? And like, that's just really what it takes. And so the progress level for me has been more of that. It's not like, oh, look at this big shiny thing that we can all say we contributed to. It's like, yo, man, just stop doing what you're doing over there and we'll be better. How about we try that? Everybody and see what it works. That to me is, you know, I mean, I can't ask for much more than that. So. That's where I'm at. No, I hear you. Um, and Clinton, I, I appreciate you coming on and talking about all this stuff. Uh, this is a lot of fun. I'm glad I'm yeah. glad I connected with you yesterday. And uh, let's definitely, uh, again, thanks so much. And let's definitely. Let me tell you something. Yeah. Wake Forest football back on the map. <laughs> all right. Get it together. Whoever the hell is coaching that team and embrace this. Because this will be huge for your program. Trust me on that one. Yeah. No, I mean, you got you got a former Wide receiver at Wake Forest. Now he's going to be our bachelor. We had Tyler Cameron, who was on Hannah Brown's season. We have footage of him throwing three picks against Florida State in a, in a span I mean, of seven, you got to make passes. sure that this is a fundamental part of your marketing strategy this season going forward just to get people involved, and I'm not even joking. Yeah. This is a godsend for not just Wake Forest football, but for ACC football <laughs> in general. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, this is it's going to be interesting. Um I, I don't know. I mean, like we said, we don't know yet about fans in college football or whatever, but we assuming there will be a college football season. I think there will be. Um, but I think Wake Forest has a, a, a golden opportunity here to promote the hell out of a former wide receiver that maybe Who had, caught zero touchdowns, <laughs> yeah, but he's still touchdowns. winning over all of us. Yeah, so exactly. God bless him. <laughs> Yep, praise be to Matt James right now. Uh, he's saving Wake Forest football as we know it. Um, but Clinton, man, thanks a lot for coming on. I really appreciate it. And uh, let's keep anytime, touch. man. You got it. Thanks for it. Talk to you soon, brother. All right, man. But thanks so much to Clinton for coming on. That was a lot of fun to talk to him. Uh, him and I have actually been texting since that uh, interview, uh, just talking about the franchise, talking sports. Really good, uh, really good guy that I watch all the time on ESPN. And yeah, it was just kind of random. I was watching him on Tuesday. Um, or on Monday, sorry, and I go to his inst- I go to his Twitter, and he's following me. I'm like, why is why is some ESPN reporter following me? And uh, yeah, you heard what he said, and um, I was like, well, I'll just send him a DM, see if he wants to come on the podcast. And sure enough, 
He responded right back, and we booked it a day later. So that was great. So thanks to Clinton uh, for coming on. I really appreciate him uh, doing that. We're definitely going to have him on uh, in the future, no doubt. Please rate, subscribe, and review in Apple Podcasts. It is much appreciated. Our ratings uh, are very good. Thanks to you guys. And if you want to leave a comment, that's great as well. But ratings definitely help. All you got to do is go to the little rating thing in Apple Podcasts. The stars pop up and click how many stars you think this podcast is worth. I think it's five, but you know you can put whatever you want. I'm not going to twist your arm. I'm not going to force you to put anything, but it's five. Come on. Anyway, um, so please do that. Please rate, su- subscribe, and review an Apple Podcast. Next couple weeks, I don't want to jinx it, but we do have two Bachelor, former Bachelor contestants, actually Bachelorette contestants, um, that also appeared in, let's see, yeah, both of them appeared in Paradise at some point. Uh, hopefully, I don't want to jinx it, so I don't want to say anything yet, but hopefully we got those. One I'm supposed to record with today, uh, and then the other one hopefully will get back to me, and we'll set that up. So our next two weeks podcast should be former Bachelorette contestants that will speak upon, speak upon what's going on uh, with the franchise and their situation with the franchise and what they think um, of all the stuff that's going on and diversity and whatnot. So we will we will definitely touch on that. Um, Again, thank you all for tuning in. I really appreciate it. Thanks again to Clinton for coming on. And thank you all for listening. Uh, I will talk to you next week with podcast number 188. So for Clinton Yates, I'm Reality Steve. I appreciate you listening, and we will talk to you next week. See you.